action sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. This is Ignition. Welcome to Ignition, a radio show and podcast for the new evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and we want to launch your own efforts to explain the Catholic faith and to invite others to live it. Before we get into today's topic, we want you to know that we love listener feedback. So if you've got questions about today's episode, and I really hope you do, uh, if you've got questions about today's episode, if you've got ideas for future episodes, please let us know and contact us. There are two easy ways to do so. You can email us, ignition at sfcatholic.org. Again, ignition at sfcatholic.org, or you can tweet us at sfdiocese and use use the hashtag ignition. Again, at sfdiocese, that's S-F-D-I-O-C-E-S-E, and use the hashtag ignition. Uh, I am happy to have, once again, as last week, uh, as a guest co-host, another Father Andrew, but this one, for simplicity or distinction, distinction's sake, Father Andy Thuringer. Father, Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. In case uh, anybody didn't have a chance to listen to last week's episode in which we discussed horror movies, uh, would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners today? Yeah, my name is Father Andy Thuringer. I'm the associate pastor at Holy Family in Mitchell, South Dakota. Uh, I'm a newly ordained priest. I was ordained uh, in June of 2017, so it's only been a few months. Uh, and I'm I'm happy to be here. Happy to be back in the diocese and out of seminary and happy to be on the show today. <laughs> and we're happy to have you back. Um, happy that you are able to be on Ignition again. It's possible, three months as we're recording this, but you know, the internet being the internet, decades from now, they might be listening to St. Andrew's podcasts on Ignition. I hope so. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just curious where you're going to go with that. I was, what's he going to say? I'm talking about Dickinson. I don't know. You know oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I hope so to him, him too. Okay, so, Father, you I mentioned we talked about horror films last week. I really enjoyed the discussion. Um, what we're going to do today, and, and we mentioned why horror movies. Um, among other reasons, the movie It came out recently as we're recording this, the top grossing um, horror movie of, of all, all time. time. Today, we're going to, in a little bit, after I sort of introduce the background, but we're going to be talking about the top grossing movie so far of 2017. And probably, because it's September, it probably will... Re- we have a Star Wars movie coming we out this year. a Star Wars movie coming out. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. We'll see. Uh, before I get into that movie, though, and we're going to talk about that movie, I want to explain why we're talking um, about movies. I sort of set up a little bit um, last week with horror films, but... Um, one thing that I think is really important for us as Christians, uh, as, as Catholics, is for us to listen to our Lord when he tells us in the Gospels to read the signs of the times. That can mean all sorts of different things. Uh, but for me, I think especially uh, today, as our culture is becoming more and more ambiguous or even outright hostile with regard to our Christian faith, um, we, should, we should really be attentive to what it is that our culture is saying to us. Uh, what is the image of the true, the good, the beautiful? Beautiful. What is the portrayal of the good life that is offered to us, especially um, in literature, books, uh, magazines, music, but also t- film and TV? Um, for us to really um, consume culture, if you will, in a critical way, where we're attentive to. And that doesn't mean just rejecting it. We sort of um, focused last week on why. Arguments against just outright rejecting all horror movies in particular. I, I extend that uh, in general with with all forms of culture. We're not saying that uh, we should completely reject all forms of culture. That'd be impossible. But that we should 
critically engage it. So last week, Father, you gave some examples. Uh, you were arguing for horror movies, but in point of fact, you only watch them once every couple of years because you try to watch ones that are actually good. And they're rare. Good, good horror good, movies right. are rare. But when they're there, there's something to be said for them. And, and if you want to hear that, you can go back to the other podcast. But I've always thought, you know, I, I have a great love for... Uh, art for Christian art. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to study in Rome for a couple of semesters in 2012, and uh, it changed my life mm-hmm. to be surrounded by so much sacred beauty all the time. And then coming back to the states where we don't have that nearly as frequently, you don't have these giant cathedrals and things like that. Um, I was always struck by like what is so so. There was a time where when Michelangelo would come out with the statue, it was the talk of the town, right? You know, and what what is that today? The predominant art form is film, right? It, it, it is what most of his experience, it makes the most money. It's produced the most often. Um, it's not statue anymore. It's film. And so we should engage it just like we would engage other serious works of art in the past. Right. So just as Michelangelo's latest sculpture would be the talk of the town, it's fine and maybe good and right that we as Christians should be talking about town, about the latest film, whether it's um, some high culture, uh, our tour piece, or whether it's a blockbuster Tent pole uh, movie. Movie. <laughs> so we're going to do that today with um, the what is to this point at least top grossing movie of 2017, and that is Wonder Woman, which we have both seen. And I have seen multiple times. I've seen multiple because times. I'm the one who pushed for this. I am in love with this film, and uh, I'm very excited to talk about it. So Father Dickinson and I would often, on occasion, talk about movies. Uh, again, the reason I just to reiterate what I was just saying, I think it's important for us to be attentive to what we're receiving and what's in the cultural air around us. And so looking at the top grossing movie of 2017, apart from the fact that we both really like it and think it has some powerful themes, even if that weren't the case, it'd be good for us to sort of, okay, this is a big movie. What's, what's, what's the deal with this movie from a Christian Catholic perspective? Uh, so let's dive in uh, and talk about some of the, some of the themes that we both see in the movie. So, Father, how do you want to start off? So I think I think one helpful way is is when we talk about Christians watching movies, kind of the standard way that I see Christians try to analyze movies is by finding some sort of Christ figure in them. Okay. And probably the classic example of that in our modern era is uh, Neo from The Matrix. Right. He so clearly exemplifies many things that that Christ does, and he, he, he I mean, he's more than just an analogy. He even wears kind of a flowy cloak and different right. things like that. He's the one, you know. Right. Um, and, and I see so many Christians kind of fall into the trap of always finding a Christ figure. Yeah. We, I'm a big fan of Bishop Robert Barron and of his podcast as well. And I, I hate, I don't want to call him out like he does so much good stuff, but occasionally I see him reaching a little far right. to try to label somebody as, look how this person is like Christ. And I, and I actually personally, when I watch movies, try to resist that temptation as much as possible okay. and, to, and to look deeper instead of just identifying one person to kind of look deeper and say like, where, where's Christianity also present instead of just labeling one person as Christ. So. Wait, before, because he just, okay, this is this is a podcast, so you didn't see him just raise his finger and about to say something, and I cut him off. So just to be clear, a Christ figure is a figure who is at least analogous to, if not more so, like Jesus. Could you yeah, unpack yeah. that a little? What, what, what's another example besides Neo from the Matrix series? There's a, there's this old movie, um, it's actually Pope Francis's favorite movie called La Strada. Okay. It's, a, it's an Italian film, it's in black and white, it's awesome. Um, but it has this kind of, uh, like silent clown figure 
um, who's always very foolish and self-effacing and who ends up sacrificing himself for somebody else. And in many ways, like the, the, the kind of um, the righteous fool, okay. um, the person who doesn't care for his own well-being and is kind of dismissed by others is a very common Christ figure um, because Jesus by, was mocked by so many and yet uh, saved us all through his sacrifice. Okay. And so you, it's not just in, in modern movies today. It's throughout time people have tried to portray Christ kind of in hidden ways. Okay. So so oftentimes where they sacrifice themselves for others would be a, a, a common trait of a Christ figure in a movie. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So Wonder How, Woman. So, so here's the thing, though. It, you know, I tried as much as I could because especially with superheroes, you find everybody, you know, it's kind of like Neo. Well, if he has superpowers, <laughs> he must be Jesus. Right. And, uh, uh, you know, I just think so, you can only stretch that so far. Let, you know, me, when, let me cut right to the chase because you said this off the air. So I just want, I want to bring this out into the light of day <laughs> because never things should ever be hidden, uh, Father. Um, you don't think that Tony Stark is a Christ figure. Not a good one. Uh, <laughs> no, look, I Iron, mean, Iron I mean, Man, ladies and gentlemen, that's who Tony Stark is. You know, it's just just because he's a superhero doesn't mean he's a Christ figure. Right. And I don't think that the character of Tony Stark shares that many similarities with right. Jesus. Uh, he really doesn't. He's not a good Christ figure. And so, and so when I'm going into Wonder Woman, I really had this almost anti-Christ figure bias where right. I was like, you know, she settle down. She's probably not a Christ figure, right. all these different things. And actually, I, I, I had kind of dismissed it. And I was talking to uh, some junior high students about this film because I was just pumped about it. So you'd seen it already. I'd seen it and you'd tw- already- twice already. <laughs> so at this point, when before you had this conversation with some junior high uh, kids, um, you've seen it twice and you conclude, you'd concluded to this point that that Wonder Woman is not a Christ figure. Well, I, I was just like, I was like, I know she has superpowers, but okay, that's not, I, I thought there were more compelling things that we'll get okay. to later in the podcast. Okay. And then um, this young girl pointed out to me um, she said, well, I think she's like Jesus. And I, and I went, I kind of rolled my eyes and said, oh, here we go. Okay. How is Wonder Woman like Jesus? Um, and she goes, well, she comes from this other world, this other island, this remote place that we've never been called Themyscira. And when she goes to earth, it's to save humanity from this evil force called, you know, Ares, uh, who's, who's infecting Spoiler people. Spoiler alert. <laughs> oh, if you haven't seen it at this point. Yeah, we should just say, we yeah. should say right now. Just pause. <laughs> we should say right now, full spoilers for Wonder Woman throughout yep. the rest of this podcast, because yep. yep. I really want to dig into it. And yep. that means talking about particulars. Yep. So uh, she's going to go off from this island where she's been kind of sheltered her whole life to the real world where World War One is brewing and she thinks it's because of this insidious force, Ares. Right. And her mother warns her and says, you know, they don't deserve you, these human beings. You're too good for them, basically. And yet she goes all the same. And the little girl pointed out that, you know, Christ, the, the word before he was made flesh, um, was completely perfect right. and superior. And in fact, descends to our level and is willing to become a human being right. and to suffer injustice because of that. Right. Um, that he was willing to come and save us, even though we didn't deserve him. Right. And I was just floored. And I was like, you just won. I, I was, I was so <laughs> impressed by yeah. the way that this girl had, had so insightfully pierced kind of the, the, the mystery of wonder woman. Um, and, and the next time I watched it, I could not help but see her as this kind of Christ figure. Um, it's a really beautiful reflection. So I just, um, now correct me if I'm wrong. I only saw it once, but she doesn't die, right? 
No, no. And so, so just the point. So, a Christ figure. It's to be a Christ figure in a film doesn't necessarily mean that there has to be certain things like always sacrificing yourself for another. No, I don't think so. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so Wonder Woman. Um, contrary maybe to your initial evaluation, might very well be a Christ figure in the movie. I think a really good one. Okay. Uh, I th- yeah, like I said, I think there's a beautiful reflection there. Okay. And if we go a little deeper with that reflection, um, I think that it's not just that she enters into our world. Um, it's what she does when she's here, uh, which I would say, I, I would characterize as a certain, a certain like kind or joyful mercy. Mm. Um. You know, Father Scott Trainer, and and you actually know this quote offhand. So why don't you give that to us? Father Scott Trainer has described uh, mercy as love poured out on misery. Yeah, that that mercy is not simply God forgiving me for being bad. Right. Like it's not simply Him forgiving my sins. That's very true. But in a wider umbrella, God's mercy is whenever His love is poured upon our misery, our need. Um, and this is the kind of mercy that I think we see from her throughout Wonder Woman. First of all, near the end of the movie, um, kind of the secondary antagonist, Dr. Poison. Right. um, Wonder Woman actually picks up a tank and is going to like crush Dr. Poison with this. Uh, And there we see a very conventional sense of mercy where... That she doesn't, just to be clear. That she doesn't. She she chooses not to, she chooses to have mercy on Dr. Poison not to crush her, uh, to recognize that even though this is is somebody who's done some really bad things, um, that that's not a reason for her to take this person's life. And so she, she, she kind of tosses the tank lightly to the right. side um, because she's wonderful. <laughs> Just woman. like I do every day. Yeah. Uh, uh, and that's a very conventional sense of mercy. Um, and not, I don't mean to devalue that. We need that so much from Christ. So, uh, um, so the analogy there to the Christian life, what you said earlier is God just... Uh, merely forgiving my sins is not just mere nothing. It's important. It's valuable. But his mercy is more than just forgiveness of my sins. Yeah, yeah. Dr. Poison is a bad person. She's done bad things. Right. And we have done bad things. We right. are sinners. Um, and yet Christ has mercy on us. Right. Um, but what I love about Wonder Woman, the movie, and the character, uh, is that we see a deeper level of mercy as well. Um, there's a character, Charlie, who's kind of the Scottish uh, sniper in their little platoon that they have. And uh, he's kind of a damaged individual. You know, he brags about being able to kill people from far, long distances. So he never has to, you know, know who they are or anything like that, that it's really impersonal. And he can just kind of braggadocio, like, oh, I kill so many people. And yet there are times throughout the movie where he's haunted by this, where he has some form of shell shock mm-hmm. um, and, and where he can't pull the trigger at really important moments. And he kind of lets the team down. Uh, and then there's a, then there's a night where they have peace and he ends up grabbing a piano and playing this little Irish song, um, or Scottish song. And it's this little folk song and I looked it up and it's just beautiful. It's called I'll walk beside you in the world today. Repeat the title again. I'll walk beside you in the world today. Mm. Um, and, and the lyrics to this, I mean, one, it's just, if, if you're, if you're a softy like me. Um, this thing will make your heart sing. It's such right. a beautiful love song and, and something you can pray with as well. But, uh, but he sings this song and then the next morning they're gearing up to go to the next battle. And he says, well, you know, I, I, I let you guys down. You should leave me behind. I didn't, you know, I didn't take the shot when I should have leave me behind. And she looks right at him with just like kindness and says, but then who would sing for us? And it's one of the most touching moments in the entire movie. I, I mean, I, I'm feeling something like right now as I even recount it. And it's because she looks at the heart of his misery of the broken person that he is sinful or no. 
Um, but just to, at the at the misery that's in his life in different ways. And she calls out in love, like toward the good in him. Mm-hmm. She highlights that part of him that deserves to be raised up. And she values him for what he should really be valued for. Like for, for the goodness in his heart, not for his skill with the sniper rifle. Right. Um, and this in so many ways is the depths of God's mercy for us. Not just that he's, he'll, he's willing to forgive our sins, and he is, but that he'll find that inmost part of us that is truly us and call it forth right. and value it and foster it. Uh, and he'll say to you like, oh, but who would sing for me? Right. You know, right. um, a beautiful reflection on God's mercy in a, in a really unconventional way. I, I, there's a, uh, I think this is, well, maybe it's not in scripture. I assume in Psalms, but it, it, if it's not there, it's, it, it's nonetheless true that God delights in us. So just as one woman delights in Charlie and his ability to make this beautiful music as he had the night before, just as our Lord delight, he doesn't just not throw the tank at us. He doesn't just not throw damnation at us. He delights in us and he extends his love, his mercy, his tenderness towards us. Just, well, Wonder Woman does it just as God does it, to put it in proper order. Is that what you're saying here? Yeah, absolutely. And there's there's this great sense. um, I love that you use the word delight. Because one of the one of the kind of hallmarks of the movie is kind of Wonder Woman's optimism. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. like she she tastes ice cream for the first time, right? And, and goes to the man. And she's like, "Oh, you should be so proud. Right. This is great. This is wonderful." Um, and and there's such a such an optimism. You know, in that same scene where Charlie is playing on the piano, uh, her and 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 Steve Trevor, um, the kind of captain of this platoon, have this conversation about what is life like when there's not war. Mm. And they just talk about the goodness present in humanity. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I think it's important <clears throat> as Catholics, like we should, we should be able to look at things um, theologically. Um, and part of that means to look at things humanly because the Theos, God, became man. man, right? And there's something so good about the movie Wonder Woman in that it delights in human goodness, right. in that she focuses on human goodness, and that despite, this is kind of her struggle throughout the film, is that despite our failings, I think Wonder Woman sees the world in a very Catholic way because she recognizes that people are at the root good. Um, I touched on this a little bit at the end of the last episode, looking at horror movies and how um, so it's so commonplace today for movies to be gritty and dark and for the white hats and the black hats not to be as white as they once were, or as black as they once were. So, so our, our heroes... And, and villains are a lot more orally, morally ambiguous than they used to be in film, which, I mean, there, there's some truth to that, acknowledging the reality that it's not always really clear that the good guys aren't always perfect and the bad guys aren't always perfectly evil. But it is refreshing to see, especially, frankly, to me in this whole uh, universe, if you will, of the DC comics, it, it was very refreshing for me to see the titular character, the title character, uh, the hero who's portrayed as unabashedly good. Yeah, absolutely. But can I actually, I, I, w- I would even, so you said that, you know, most film shows this kind of the, the gray, the yeah. in-between, that, yep. that people aren't really all that good or bad, yep. or they're always a mixed bag. And actually, I, I think part of the reason that un- that Wonder Woman um, is such an optimistic film and such an optimistic character and is so uplifting um, is that they don't shy away from that either. They're not blindly optimistic. In Absolutely. In fact, her her main struggle is that she really comes to realize that even the best person has evil about them. Right. Like it has been tainted right. by evil. Right. Uh, and yet, 
Right. She'll she'll put her chips. She'll she'll lay her wager right. on the good part of mankind. Right. Um, and that that is, I think, why it's all the more because it doesn't turn a blind eye to the problems Absolutely. of the world. It's not um, naive that way. Yeah, but it's also not nihilistic. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, Neither naive nor nihilistic. Uh, you're listening to Ignition, a broadcast for the New Evangelization. Father Andy Thuringer is my guest co-host today. And we are talking about the top grossing box office movie of 2017, Wonder Woman. Um, and and how they are, there are there are a lot of, of beautiful elements and themes throughout the movie. Uh, we've been focusing here on the mercy of Wonder Woman and how she's a Christ figure that way. Father, we've got about uh, six minutes to go, seven minutes to go. Let's turn now and look at the other strong theme that you see in the film. And this is perhaps my favorite thing that I saw in the movie, and, and I'm really excited to share it. Um, you know, when when they first announced that Wonder Woman was going to be uh, a movie in the DC universe, that mm-hmm. she was going to be this character. And when she first showed up in that Batman versus Superman movie, yep. um, I always had this kind of concern uh, because Wonder Woman could go so wrong. Like, <laughs> especially in today's culture where, where you see so many different shades of feminism. Sure. Um, and it's not, it, there's not one or the other. Like the, it's really hard to put a label on feminism as a whole right now. And I didn't know which shade we were going to get. Right. I didn't know how the movie was going to because in some ways when you portray Wonder Woman, you portray womanhood. Right. Um, and that's important. Yep. Um, and especially as really the first uh, successful um, female superhero movie. Right. Um, it had a lot on its shoulders. Right. And Patty Jenkins, the director, had a lot to live up to. Um, and she's not been without criticism despite the fact that this movie is, is right. so critically and, and uh, audience acclaimed, you know. Right. Um, Real quick, by the way, on that, did you see um, one of the most successful uh, directors of our time is James Cameron, Um, Titanic, uh, Terminator, et cetera, et cetera. A few weeks ago came out highly critical. Yes, of one woman because of what we were talking about previously. Yeah. Optimism. And I totally disagreed with That's him me too. as, as did Patty, his whole thing, his whole thing, maybe this speaks to some of what we're going to say. Uh, his criticism was, well, you know, Sarah Connor in yeah. the Terminator, um, was, was really tough and, uh, was actually kind of a bad mother and, uh, she didn't have to live up to that motherhood stereotype and she just got to go and kick butt against the Terminator and stuff. And isn't that really, you know, feminism. And Patty Jenkins basically responded, and I don't have her exact words in front of me, but basically responded by saying, if the only way that women can be heroic is by being tough and not feminine, right? then feminism has failed. Right. And that Wonder Woman, like in many of her fe- like traditionally feminine qualities, is still a hero right. and still somebody to look up to and still saves the day. She said that. That is a sign of progress. So a hero, be- because of her feminine qualities, not in spite of or despite them. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And I, so I thought, one, I, yeah, I read his comments and was kind of like, oh, that's sad. And, um, yeah. and, and But then I loved her response and was right. very happy that she, that she put her finger on, on the, the key of the issue so well. Right. Um, clearly she knows what she's talking about right. and, and she put it into this film. Right. And one of the things that I think, um, I see most clearly about like the femininity of Wonder Woman. And granted, look, I know that this is uh, Father Andy Thuringer and Dr. Chris Bergwald right. <laughs> sitting in a studio, two dudes talking about Wonder Woman. Right. Um, and yet, and yet, the, at least I can offer a man's perspective of Wonder Woman. Well, one of the things that I saw and valued so much about the portrayal of femininity um, was her care and respect for each individual she came in, in contact with. Right. Um, and, and as Catholics, we would call that living up to the personalistic norm, which is that when I see a person 
I treat them as a person. Mm-hmm. That I don't treat them as a, ne- a means to an end. That I don't treat them as something that can just be, you know, put to the side or ignored or they're in my way. Um, they, like so many movies do treat people as kind of these chips that can be cashed in and, right. and to show for effect and whatever. Um, but that, it, you know, when she's walking to, I think the best example of this is when she's going to the front lines, um, to the trench warfare in World War One. And they're getting closer and closer to the trenches and they see like a horse stuck in the mud. Mm-hmm. She goes, oh, we got to go help them. And all the men in the group say, no, we got to go to the front. Right. And then she sees a man whose leg has been blown off and the medics are trying to help. And she says, oh, we got to go help him. And they say, no, no, we got to go to the front. We have to fix the real problem. And then finally she encounters this woman who says that her village has been taken over, that the men in the village have been killed, that other people are being held captive and are starving and all these things. And she says, we have to help her and her village. Not we have to solve the whole war, not we have to like fix everything right now, but just we have to help her. She's in front of us and she's asking for help. And the men say, you know, again, like, no, you can't do that. That's impossible. And she doesn't know whether it's possible or not, but she does it. Right. She goes for it and she ends up liberating that village. And so much of what I love about this is that is that she actually lives the personalistic norm. Mm -hmm. That she sees each person as an individual worth value. And that's the same thing as when she looks at Charlie and says, but who would sing for us? She doesn't see him as the sum of his failures. She sees him. Uh, and John Paul II in his Theology of the Body, uh, he, ne- he never like, came right out and said it, but he kind of tangentially said that he believed at least that one of the trademarks of true womanhood was that women were much better at following this personalistic norm. Right. Right. That men can, t- and this is all generalization, I understand, but it's also true that, that men as a whole can get bogged down in details or task oriented or, you know, much like they do in the movie. No, we got to get to the front. Right. Um, whereas as something that women bring to the table that we desperately need in this world is seeing a person and saying, I will help you. And, and if that's the example that Wonder Woman lifts up for all of us, I love this movie. I absolutely adore it. There's uh, the line. Sometimes you got to break an eggs, to, break a few eggs to make an omelet, and that's ne- that's when applied to human action is the anti-personalistic norm. That's kind of well, okay, yeah, we know there's suffering over here, but we've got to abandon that for the sake of the larger, the greater good. And she says, "No, this is a good." Yeah, and we and we in the same light would say, "No, no, no, you don't understand. God made this person, right, and they are good, right." And that cannot be ignored. Right. In fact, it has to be valued. Right. And I, I, I just, I just think it's outstanding that we have a movie that displays that so well. Right. right. Uh, it was just recently announced too that uh, Patty Jenkins, director, it has been signed to the sequel, going to make a ton of money doing it. I'm really looking forward to seeing um, what that looks like because it, it's going to be a tough act to follow, to be honest. Well, if it's good, I'll be back and we can talk about it. Exactly. Uh, So this has been Father Andy Thuringer, my guest co-host. We've been talking about Wonder Woman. And again, this is an example of a way that you can approach culture and look and see what's the true, what's the good, the beautiful, what are the Christian themes present in a movie like Wonder Woman? Thanks for being here, Father. Yeah, thank you for having me. And that wraps up this episode of Ignition. Again, you can email us, ignition at sfcatholic.org, or tweet us at sfdiocese. Use the hashtag Ignition with any questions you might have. And until next time, our dear listeners, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find archives of this and past episodes online at sfcatholic.org. Click on Media and then Audio Files. You can also subscribe to the Ignition Podcast in the iTunes Store. 
Remember to tune in every Thursday afternoon at 2 p.m. on Lamb Catholic Radio at 91.3 FM in Hartford and 104.3 LPFM Juan Diego Catholic Radio in Sioux Falls and on 88.9 FM in Ipswich and Aberdeen or online at lambradio.com.